G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Of course, we're waking up to the fact, so many of us, that the world is changing dramatically and the people, their perceptions, their attitudes are changing too. Maybe we can blame technology or the proliferation of what we might call an anti-Christian media. But our special guest today says we're often quick to blame Hollywood or our governments. But it's not the culture's fault that God is sidelined. She says if God is missing from the conversation, then it's because his people have failed to represent him there. Carmen LeBurge is an author, a speaker, and she's the host of a Christian talk radio show in the United States called Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Carmen is heard across the Faith Radio Network in the U.S., Carmen's written a book too. It's called Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back into Every Conversation. And she is renowned for her unwavering commitment to the truth, spoken with grace, authority, humility, and a touch of humor. Carmen, you're in Nashville, I think. Welcome along to 2020. Neil, thank you so much. What a privilege. Carmen, let's start with a quote that I picked up from you. Truth muddled with opinion. Uh, We as Christians, we think we know that there is truth in God's word. We want to be exponents of that, defenders of that, but it certainly is muddled with opinion. What are your thoughts? So, Neil, I think that when we talk about the truth, most of us um, think about varieties or um, truth on a spectrum from uh, the truth and only the truth. Um, every time and about everything, all the way over to, well, not just that which is contrary to the truth, but lies told for the purpose of leading people um, away from the truth. So you are somewhere, you and I are always somewhere on that spectrum. I want to speak the truth. I want to speak the whole truth. So help me God. There is a temptation in every moment to, well, maybe maybe make the truth sound a little bit better than it might otherwise sound like, right? So I, cause I don't want to hurt your feelings and I don't want to, I, you know, I, I want you to like me. And so, um, the truth may draw into question something that you're doing. Um, it may come into conflict with a perspective that you present, but if I'm going to be a person of truth, then I'm going to have to stand in that awkward place and represent the one who is the way and the truth and the life. Truth is not an idea. It's not something that we adopt. It is a person, and his name is Jesus. And I can't put words in his mouth. I have to have his word operate through me and represent that in a world that's deeply confused about the truth. I love your comment about Jesus. Jesus is a person. I'll often say he comes truth comes uh, dressed in flesh and blood. And uh, it's a beautiful way of putting 
the fact that Jesus the same yesterday, today and forever, and so his words recorded for us in the Gospels, they're not changing anytime soon. So when something happens in our society that is a contradiction to those things that we understand as truth because this is what Jesus stands for, then all of a sudden we've got to make a choice, haven't we? Either we get uh, into the stream with everyone else's opinions or we hold tight to the truth because that's what Jesus said. This is where the conflict comes, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So as Jesus's representatives in the world today, the people responsible to represent Christ um, in the world, I have to be a person um, who is not only you know dead to myself, so Galatians 2.20, right? No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Like, I got to get out of the way. I have to be then immersed in the word so that um, when the world squeezes me and it's going to, what comes out is grace and truth. Like, Jesus comes full of grace and truth including you and I, Neil, everybody's full of something. I want to be a person who is full of grace and truth. And so that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Like, am I willing to genuinely represent Christ always and in all ways and to do so in a way that he would recognize as consistent with himself? That's really the challenge, at least here in America. That's really the challenge that many Christians face today. We, um, we live in a culture that has a rising conflict with Christianity, um, and, and yet we have a lot of Christians who want to retain positions of respect in the culture, and I understand that, um, but in order to take a stand for the truth, it does mean we're increasingly unpopular in the place where for a long time it's been really easy to be a Christian. Now, there might even be things that listeners might disagree with today, and I do want to invite listeners to be a participant in our conversation today because there could be some very, very controversial things we could talk about. I mean, the whole issues, let's just get a little bit practical here, perhaps uh, whet the appetite of questions listeners might like to engage in as well. Sex, sexuality, gender. That's a huge issue in the U.S., uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, just the recent uh, story of uh, the black man who was killed and uh, five black police officers uh, uh, in the media. I mean, we might be able to talk through some issues like that. Uh, the thoughts that in the US, perhaps even more than Australia, there is a, a division between people who tend to, when they have Christian faith, tend to lean to the Republican side of politics rather than the Democrat side of politics. These are the sorts of things where your faith matters, Carmen. These are the sorts of questions. Are these the sorts of ones that you're answering with listeners as they're calling in on your talk radio program? Yeah, that's what we talk about every single day. We uh, address the issues of the day, whatever's in the headline news. We seek to uh, bring the mind of Christ to bear in order that each and every one of us can walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and do so in ways that honor Jesus. Like, I am uh, seeking to equip listeners to my program um, to be genuine ambassadors of the King and the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. And the particular kingdom that I happen to live in is one called the United States of America. So, um, yeah, you've exactly uh, hit the nail on the head in terms of the conversations that we have, uh, abortion is a frequent talking, uh, you know, point of conversation for us. Euthanasia is a, a rising point of conversation. So 
issues of life and death, um, and certainly the Tyree Nichols case that you have um, referred to there in, I mean, here in the Memphis, Tennessee is where that took place. Um, and wound up in that are all kinds of, of conversations. But ultimately, it's a question of the value of a human life uh, and what kind of uh, value not, not only do we place on that individually, but as a culture, um, how do we value life in America? Carmen, to pick up too, it's not just a matter of having a right way to respond in these conversations that you'll have around these things, but also the way in which you respond. And I note you say you like to speak in a righteous way at a tick-tock pace. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because somehow or other, we've got to learn some lessons about how our culture receives answers to things. And maybe we feel like we've got to give long-winded responses and all sorts of well-detailed evidence uh, for the response that we might bring in a conversation. But somehow or other, getting those into a tick-tock pace is something you like to work with as well. Yeah, and a lot of that, I think, Neil, just comes with a, a, a growing appreciation uh, of just playing with words. So saying something just a little slightly differently than a person is used to hearing it, um, setting a mental hook that later on they've got a place to hang some things um, when they run across something in the culture that they know is contrary to what God has said, what God has revealed in, in, in his word. Um, but they don't, they haven't up until now really had a place to put that, a place to hang that. Um, and so, so I think that that's part of what I'm um, I'm seeking to encourage Christians to do is allow the word of God to set some hooks in your heart and mind so that you've got a place to put some things um, when they arise in the culture. Because these are the just the challenges that we happen to have in our generation. Um, they're not unfamiliar to God, and it's not the first time around. I mean, anybody who's read the book of Judges knows that we are not the first generation to live in a time when everybody just did whatever was right in their own eyes. And even in the midst of those days, you know, there were people who were living godly lives. And that's who we want to be in this generation. Now, I mentioned in the introduction, you are the host of a talk radio program in the U.S. And I know listeners might be very uh, interested in the sorts of things people are calling in to talk about on your radio program and the sorts of topics the sorts of stories that you're presenting. Now, uh, given that it's early evening, your time in the US, as we're talking to you right now, you must have been on the air a little earlier on today. Was there a particular topic you were talking about earlier on on your radio program? All right. Now, Neil, now you've, now you've called me out because I'd have to look back at the notes from this morning because, you know, my brain's already focused on, on tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, we, um, we, we have... Uh, each month, I've got one guest on who we talk with him about moving from the living Word of God to actually living the Word of God. So I usually have a conversation partner, much like you and I are having a conversation now. Um, and so he and I talked through some of the passages of Scripture that tend to be misrepresented, particularly in our culture. So, you know, the, the first verse of Matthew chapter 7, judge not lest ye be judged. And we talked about, you know, like that in context. What does it mean to be a person who you know, is of good judgment and the ability not only to see what's going on um, that's wrong about somebody else or their perspective, but can I see it in myself? Am I willing to to hear those things and um, the difference between good judgment and judgmentalism? So that was that was one point. But then um, uh, we had a friend um, who he actually serves with another organization, much like Faith Radio, and uh, and 
he and I talked through some of the Tyree Nichols um, concerns uh, and also some abortion um, things that are going on right now in our culture. We also got into a conversation about something that it seems to be happening um, among a particular segment of the Christian community, and it's something called manifesting. I wasn't super familiar with it, but he is. And so we talked about that and the challenges that that presents um, to Christians in our culture today. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You might be wondering, on the ground, right up to date, what do Christians think of issues that are breaking in the news in the United States? Our special guest today, Carmen LeBurge, is a talk radio host, and she tackles these sort of things in some ways similar to what we do here on 2020. But a focus on America today, and so 1-800-316-316. Carmen, let's take a call from Anne, who is in Labrador in Queensland. Hi, Anne. Welcome. I'm going to put a stand on it. I think COVID has to do with a great deal of us with all the self-distancing dis- dis- and also also the fact that we've had lockdowns and also we've had to go on to, on to lying. And most people now, even though they still go online and don't even have association with all the, the people in the church and also our witnessing, it's been like that we've been restricted in that way. So I know these other things are important, and I know that that has always been there, you know, on the stages. But since COVID, you know, we've we've had to self-discipline and not hug, and and so I think that has helped um, hasn't helped us in our in our witnessing and in our our walk with the Lord. Because if people are still online, they're not having that face to face with brothers and sisters to encourage them. And, and everything else. So I and you're making some good points here. Uh, you're talking about COVID, and there's an experience that we've had in Australia with COVID. Uh, there's an American experience. Carmen, I'm just going to bring you in on how your experience has been with COVID there, uh, lockdowns, and the way that churches have been affected. Uh, there's been some churches in the US that have really stood their ground, dug their heels in and uh, been quite rebellious according to what the government might have given orders to do. But your thoughts here for Anne, who's concerned about you know issues around what has happened with the social distancing and uh, lockdowns and the thought that face-to-face Christianity is a positive and, uh, and some of the issues around COVID. Any thoughts here for Anne? Well, first of all, Anne, thank you so much um, for your call. I definitely hear in your voice um, the the sense of loss of community, and um, I resonate with that. In the United States, uh, people can return um, to church and to Christian community, but many have not. And so, one of the things that one of the challenges that the, the American church is currently facing is the number of people who have not returned to in-person worship, um, even even though they could now if they wanted to. Um, so that's a particular challenge I think that we're facing right now. Um, but I, I hear you, Anne, in terms of witnessing as well, not only the personal desire for Christian community and the, you know, the being together with the body of Christ, which is so essential for us in terms of, of fellowship and encouragement. Let me encourage you on the witnessing front um, there are all kinds of ways not only to be praying for people, 
but to be connecting with people in need, um, you know, using Skype or Zoom or some other online platform um, and just looking people in the eye. One of the practices that we've begun to adopt is literally cupping our hands. Just cup your hands like you would if you were going to try to drink out of a stream. Cup your hands and literally present people to the Lord in that way. Like I'm holding this person up before you and father, you know, I need you to do for them what only you can do. You see them, you know, their needs. Um, and we have found that finding a posture of being able to hold one another, um, has been, has been a particular gift to us, at least in my worshiping community. And anything further to add? No, it's just that oh, one thing is that people decide to go online and not back to church again. And that has been a very hard thing for people to get offline. And and they make it think, oh, it's easy for me to just listen to a church service online and not even go bother going to, to church or anything. And that's another thing that came in with COVID, but getting people offline again and getting them back into that relationship with brothers and sisters and, and you know, and other things that are involved in the church, yeah. Well, so many listeners around Australia will recognise too that when they're turning up at church on Sunday, uh, there doesn't seem to be always the same numbers that were there pre-COVID. And so uh, interesting to hear that in the United States, people have not returned to in-person church in the same way that they have been in past times. Any thoughts on what sort of solutions there might be in that? Is it just a cultural thing, do you think, uh, Carmen? Is there something that has to change in church? There's now new ways that we can communicate with online content and online connections, but the in-person worship, it's pretty hard to do away with that. It's pretty hard to replace it. Yeah, absolutely. So this is, uh, in my in my view, this is a discipleship issue. Um, you know, Hebrews 10.25, really clear on this point, do not forsake assembling together. Uh, that means assembling, actually getting together with the body of Christ in the same place at the same time. Um, and so uh, when we think about our theology of the church, um, I, don't, uh, I don't pick and choose. Uh, the church is the body of Christ. It's the assembled body of believers. I view myself as an integral part of it, and you are too. And so literally, if you're not there, functional piece of the body of Christ missing. And therefore, the local body of Christ is in some ways paralyzed. Someone else is going to have to take up uh, the part, the work of the body that God has really assigned to you. And so I would say that, you know, on the discipleship front, you cannot love Christ unless you also love his bride. And that's the church. And so let's be a people who do not forsake assembling together. And in Labrador, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Let me ask you about Roe versus Wade, because you've just had a very significant gathering in Washington, D.C., uh, the March for Life, I think it's called there. And uh, as I understand it, something in the vicinity of 150,000 people turned out uh, there in Washington to be able to celebrate life and uh, the March for Life. Is the abortion issue on the turn in the United States since the overturning of Roe versus Wade? Your thoughts here, Carmen? Um, so one of the things that has 
happened during COVID in the United States is that a very high percentage of abortions now are now accomplished chemically, uh, you know, pr- uh, chemical abortion. So for a prescription. Um, and so when we talk about abortion in the United States, we are now uh, increasingly talking about something that is happening in a do-it-yourself way um, with no doctor present. And the, uh, the current administration here in the United States, um, led by uh, President Joe Biden, um, they have mandated that U.S. postal workers must deliver these um, uh, abortion-inducing drugs um, because they say, you know, you can't assume what it's going to be used for. Well, that, that's just a moral lie. Um, that's a moral fabrication. And so that's troubling. That's, um, um, that's a disturbing trend. A full 20% of pregnancies in the United States end in abortion. Um, and so the numbers here are not coming down. I mean, certainly the numbers that, of, of abortions that take place in clinics that's coming down, but um, that's only because they've been replaced during COVID with chemical abortions, and that is on the rise. Chemical abortions. Uh, sometimes we'd refer to RU486, and there may be other drugs too that are involved in that. And uh, a terminology that I've used on air here a number of times and uh, have done over the past two decades, I think, uh, since this sort of uh, drug uh, came into existence. It's the sort of thing you can call human pesticide. Now, it's interesting when you are a Christian believer and the abortion issue. Sometimes we want to have a head-in-the-sand attitude and not be too concerned about it. Somebody else is fighting that battle. Uh, Thoughts here for the fact that there were 150,000 at that March for Life. There must be something of a significant turnaround for that sort of march to gather that much support. Uh, Are ordinary Americans... Uh, rising to the challenge here to be more pro-life? So, Neil, it's it's hard for me to imagine um, a context around the world uh, that is, you know, where literally everyone uh, has a settled opinion on this issue uh, because that that's the way it is in America. Um, this is the one topic that it doesn't matter who you talk to, they have a settled opinion on this. The challenge that I think the church in America faces is we we say one thing about life, um, but then we act in ways that are often contrary to being pro-life, not only from, uh, from conception through birth, but from birth to natural death. Like we, we do not have a culture of life in America that supports a woman who does make the choice to bring a child into the world on her own without the support of a husband or a family system. We don't do a very good job in the church in the United States of America of coming alongside, um, you know, women who have uh, a, a child who has particular challenges. Like there, there are some real gaps in our pro-life ethic. Um, I do think we have a strong theology of adoption and yet we have 150,000 children in the United States of America today, right now, who are adoption eligible, who don't have a home. They don't have a forever home. They're in the foster care system here. They are adoption eligible, and no one is coming forward to adopt them. So um, it's you know it's one thing to say that I'm going to be pro-life in terms of making sure that every child conceived comes to full term. It's another thing to actually become 
pro whole life pro life people in the culture. So yes, 150,000 people at a at a march for life. That's actually not an unusual number um, in terms of uh, the the numbers at the March for Life every single year in Washington D.C. And this year, the March for Life was quite a celebration, right? Because Roe v. Wade, which has been on the books for 50 years, has been overturned overturned by the Supreme Court. It's now being that is now being fought in all 50 of our U.S. states. And uh, yesterday, Minnesota became the latest state to um, make abortion legal for any reason at taxpayer expense to full term. Mm-hmm. So we, we have not arrived at a place of, of having a pro-life ethic in America. Carmen, let me ask you about the initials B-O-L-O, BOLO. This is something that you talk about on radio and really the thought of be on the lookout uh, give us some insights here into the use of BOLO. Well, thank you, Neil, again, for the privilege of the conversation today. Um, so when you think about the opportunities that uh, that God has set as divine appointments every single day, um, you know, I think that we might imagine that those are going to happen in particular uh, contexts or in particular relationships. But increasingly, I'm just encouraging people to be on the lookout for any sign anywhere at any moment with any other person that there's an openness to a conversation um, uh, about a perspective different than the one that they might be operating out of. There's just so many people in the culture, Neil, at least here in the United States, and I, I have to assume that this is true in Australia as well. They are simply operating as functional atheists, as if God is not. And if I am functioning with the full awareness, moment by moment, that God is, that he sees, that he cares, that he has a will, that there's a redemptive plan. I mean, if I'm operating out of that reality, then there should be opportunities every single day where I, where my life is rubbing up against the reality of the life of somebody who is functioning as if God is not. And they might not have a well-formed conviction that God is not, they just haven't thought about it. So how do I, you know, get someone else to even just consider the rainbow in the sky, not just the one uh, that might be on a bumper sticker? Now, from our perspective here in Australia, as we look into the fishbowl, which might be the United States, uh, we can see that there's still an awful lot of people that turn up to church on Sunday. And so some might even be disturbed when you say that almost uh, the fact that some Christians are like functional atheists, they don't really know what they believe. Uh, The thought here that you've still got a big turnout to church on Sunday, bigger than the percentages that we'll have here in Australia. And yet there's this sort of cultural Christianity. We're Christian by name, but we're not really living a Christian life. Is this something that's more and more a concern for church leaders, do you think, in the United States? So, Neil, here in the United States, um, we are we're addressing something called the rise of the nuns, and that's N-O-N-E-S. A full 25 to 30 percent of the American population now just very openly and publicly says they don't believe in anything. That's a, that's a massive uh, generational shift taking place. Um, another uh, other language that you'll hear here is that uh, younger people are deconstructing their faith. Maybe they have been a part of a church. Maybe they um, you know, have been raised in a Christian family, and I would 
probably put air quotes around that. Some sort of, you know, we go to church on Christmas and Easter, and when there's a box to check, we check the box Christian. Well, they no longer feel compelled to check that box. It's no longer an operational part of their um, self-identity. And I think that the, um, the, the rise of the self is really the important conversation for every Christian in the United States to be equipped to have. We have to understand that we live in a culture where people see, themse- see themselves as the most important decision maker, the author of their own story, um, that they are the, the architect of their own life, instead of seeing that they are a creature in relationship to a creator um, who not only has made them in his image, but actually has a will for their life. Uh, and that there is the possibility of living in a restored relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So the gospel actually needs to be completely represented to the culture of the United States of America. We actually need to be re-evangelized. That might be a surprise to people listening in Australia, um, but but America is a place that really does need uh, to be re-evangelized. Well, if America needs to be re-evangelized, in fact, we were talking just with our previous guest who's working on re-evangelization for Australia. So I mentioned Amen. I mentioned a little earlier on that uh, that our guests today would have something in common. That is one of the things that you're concerned with, this thought of a re-evangelization. And somehow or other, uh, we might think of America and we might think of Australia as nations that have been used to sending missionaries uh, to unreached people groups. But there is a growing need, as you say, for something new and something fresh. Uh, some people will say there needs to be a revival uh, that can bring people back to an understanding uh, of faith, an encounter with God, so that it's more than just uh, you know, head knowledge that something actually happens with a, trans- a transaction in the heart. What about the distractions that are keeping people away, that are causing the rise of the nuns? Uh, there's a high technological uptake, of course, in the United States, as there is here in Australia. Social media, uh, clickbait, those things that are distracting us from our faith. Is this a big problem that you often will talk through? Yeah, this is a huge problem. Um, I think that one of the one of the conversations that I see churches increasingly having, and I hear other Christian leaders um, talk about with an increasing frequency, um, I hear more about Sabbath, I hear more about fasting, and, and particularly fasting from social media or fasting from technology. Um, I hear a lot of conversation um, among uh, people who work with youth and with college students um, about how liberating it is for kids to actually be told they can't have their phones during, um, you know, some kind of youth event or weekend um, retreat. Uh, I think people are actually looking for somebody to say, put your phone away. Uh, and so I guess I'm hoping that um, we will not amuse ourselves to death <clears throat> in America, although that's definitely the risk, um, but that we will return to the value. I mean, Anne was, Anne was talking about this when she called that we will return to the value of actual human relationships. Um, and that certainly we will return to valuing the relationship that God offers us in Jesus Christ. 
And of course, valuing truth as we might discover that in God's Word and the Bible being a valuable document, uh, the most valuable document. There's a thought, though, that with the rise of social media, the distractions that come, uh, the people who are, you know, becoming nuns, I'm saying no faith at all. Uh, You mentioned people who are going through all sorts of things like uh, deconstructing their faith and losing their faith altogether. There is a sense in which there might be concern about the way churches are in fact, embracing some of the ideologies that are anti-Christian today as well. Does this come up in conversation with your listeners? Oh, yeah. The uh, the church in America, I mean, for for as wonderful as she is, she's a total mess. Um, and so uh, it's not even, it's really hard to even discuss evangelicalism as anything monolithic. Uh, that term and the fractures within what might have historically been understood as American evangelicalism. I mean, it's a fractured mess. You can't pick a U.S.-based denomination that isn't a fractured mess right now. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I view that as a, as a process of winnowing and, um, and the way that God works in every generation to, um, to renew the church and call her back to himself and I mean, you know, he's been, Jesus has been knocking from the outside on the door of the church for a long time. I mean, since the days of Laodicea. So the fact that, uh, you know, the church needs to be renewed and the word of God in particular, I'm so glad you brought up the Bible. I think once the word of God is restored to its rightful place in the life of the church, the church will be restored to her rightful place in the life of the culture. But until the word of God is restored to its rightful place in the life of the church, the church will not be able to find her rightful place in the culture. Sometimes we talk about governments, politicians, uh, organizations going woke and the threat or the risk that churches might also go woke, you know, with the same-sex marriage agenda, the trans agenda of the LGBTIQ uh, focus and movement. This sort of thing in American churches, how are you seeing uh, churches and their ability to respond to this tidal wave of wokeism that's engulfing churches? So those are the issues that have led to the division of um, every single one of what we would have called here in the United States of America, the mainline Christian churches. So um, it started with the UCC and then Um, the Episcopal Church, and then the Presbyterian Church, and the the Lutherans, and now the United Methodists. And so every single one of those mainline denominations in the United States has has gone through, or now with the United Methodists, is going through a major, massive division where the, um, the, the institutional body that has determined to be pro-LGBTQ and inclusive of all of those um, uh, pieces and parts of, of, of a theology that then, um, then carries a denomination to do things in terms of its mission and money that are very, very different than would be consistent with historic Christianity. Out of every single one of those denominations, there has then emerged... Um, a fresh expression of that denominational variety, but now they have new names, they're organized in new fellowships, and, um, and it's been a massive legal battle 
and it has divided many congregations. It has divided some households. Um, it, it has been a fractious 20-some years here in the United States in terms of uh, mainline Christianity. And I would say that, you know, those issues obviously don't remain in the main line. And so now you see those same conversations taking place in more evangelical environments. And Neil, you're accurate to point out, um, the church does not guard herself against that if she has walked away at all from the centrality of the word of God as, uh, you know, as the truth upon which she's going to take her stand. What you're saying is that there are so many denominations now in the U.S. that are going through a church split. We have the same issue here in Australia. A number of our denominations split. Uh, Denominations here in Australia like the Uniting Church and the Anglican Church, uh, the two most prominent ones where you can identify new groups emerging, those who are trying to hold tight to a biblical foundation of truth and those are going off on a woke dimension. And that's a challenging place to be. Let me ask you, and we might come back to that because uh, that's really important, uh, and there's a role for Christian media in there too that holds to a focus on biblical truth, and I'll ask you about that shortly. But but let me ask you about politicians because you do have a lot of fabulously upfront Christian politicians in the United States who are not afraid to actually speak uh, from a Christian perspective, do they get the sort of headlines that more woke politicians are getting? Is there a debate that actually is a 50-50 or is it all very much one-sided? It's interesting. I would say that here in the United States, um, politicians who, who lead with their faith get very positive media. Um, now they only get positive media, you know, from certain outlets, but they do get they do get the opportunity to speak, and they do get good coverage. Um, but I would also say that most of the faith related coverage that the mainstream media prefers to focus on um, would be, uh, let's say, the president of the United States who describes himself as a Catholic. However, um, you know, is often putting words in the Pope's mouth that the word that the Pope would never say and hasn't said. Um, so that's kind of a different kind of approach to being a Roman Catholic. Um, our former, our most recent, uh, speaker of the house, Nancy Pelosi would be another good example of this. You know, she, she is a person who describes herself, self-describes as a Roman Catholic. However, she is one of the most pro-abortion advocates that we have. Um, but as a good Catholic, uh, following the uh, attack at her home of her husband, she then invited um, an exorcism to take place there. So, I mean, there's just, when it comes to like politics and spirituality, we have it all in America. I mean, we have it all. And there's an expectation that our politicians will be um, people of faith and they will be very expressive of it. And no doubt there's all sorts of uh, things that happen in the media that the reporting on what actually is the truth uh, probably isn't always uh, reported properly either. Hey, let me ask you, while we're talking politicians, uh, Donald Trump uh, of recent times has announced that he's standing again for president. Uh, How are things looking on the Republican versus uh, the Democrat side, uh, thoughts are around, you know, developments uh, about, uh, you know, who's standing for president and such? 
So um, in addition to Donald Trump running on the Republican side, we will almost certainly see the current governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. Um, we will certainly see um, Nikki Haley. She has served as uh, the governor of the state of South Carolina and also um, in the Trump administration um, at the United Nations. She's going to announce that she's running for president uh, like on the 14th or 15th of this month. Um, former Vice President uh, Mike Pence may run. Um, uh, I, I think it might be a long list again. Uh, Donald Trump benefits if a lot of people run on the Republican side um, because he benefits when there's a big field to run against. Um, I, don't, I don't know if he will be indicted. There are three or four different places and ways that he might yet be indicted. Um, uh, Georgia has an active case. There's an active case in the state of New York. Um, there are federal charges that may still be brought in relationship to um, documents uh, that you know are classified, but that's also a problem on the Democratic side of the aisle as well. I mean, just today, the FBI has been back at another one of our president, current president's properties, you know, fishing around for classified documents that aren't supposed to be there. We, we've got a, um, we have a challenge, I think, uh, here in the United States of America, because the two most likely people to run for president are both very old, um, and it's probably time for a new generation, but who that next generation is on either side of the aisle is not evident. We will need to wait and see. Hey, come back to Christian Media. Time's running very short. Uh, you're hosting a talk radio program on the Faith Network. Uh, Christian Media has a very significant role to play, doesn't it, when you're trying to cut through uh, some of the confusion in the way people think about issues left, right and centre. Uh, you're clearly working in that space. Um, I think we're working in that space here too, trying to help people make sense of the headlines as they are happening each day and uh, the big things that keep bubbling along. What are your thoughts for the necessity for, for the growth of Christian media? Yeah, it's critical. It's absolutely critical. So I'm so grateful for what you're doing. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to do what we do every day at Faith Radio. Um, I recognize that the freedom that we enjoy to express our faith on air um, is not shared by uh, by other Christians around the world. It's a great privilege. It's a huge responsibility, uh, and I and I assume that we have listeners like yours. They're not tuning in to uh, to secular media. They are getting their news and information from us, and so that's a great responsibility and a great privilege. And I'm I'm glad that you and I share it together. And uh, for those listeners who won't know anything about the Faith Radio Network, uh, we're not in the United States, but there's things that people can sample because the world is a very small place now that we have online abilities to check in. And I'd encourage listeners to check out what the Faith Radio Network is doing. Carmen LaBerge, L-A-B-E-R-G-E uh, is Carmen's surname if you're wanting to Google that. Uh, but, uh, but just give us a, a little idea about uh, where the central part of Faith Radio is and, and how far you're reaching across the states? Sure. So myfaithradio.com is the website, myfaithradio.com. Um, and we are based in Minneapolis, St. Paul. We are, uh, we are a network of stations that started when Billy Graham was the president of Northwest College. 
That's now the University of Northwestern St. Paul. It's still where we're based. And from there, we have radio signals uh, across the United States and reach 110 countries around the world. Wonderful stuff. And Carmen, time has run out, but let me point listeners to connecting with you and they might check you out on myfaithradio.com. There's also a website, carmenlaburge.com. And for listeners, you might want to get a hold of Carmen's book. It's called Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back into Every Conversation. CarmenLaburge.com and you can check out MyFaithRadio.com. Carmen, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 